HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hi, I'm Kat Johnson, the Communications Director at HRN. Before we get to this week's episode of Beer Sessions Radio, we wanted to update you on your host, Jimmy Carboni. Jimmy is currently recovering from two spinal surgeries due to a staph infection. He's in good spirits and being given great care at NYU Langone, but he has a long road to recovery ahead of him. If you'd like to show Jimmy some love and support, please consider contributing to his wellness fund at gofundme.com slash jimmywellnessfund. Jimmy is nothing if not a dedicated host, and he wanted to make sure we had a show for you this week. So we're bringing you an episode of On the Road with Beer Sessions Radio, part of a limited series that took Jimmy on the road in New York State to bring you stories of the best beer, ciders, and spirits. We hope you enjoy. Hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio. For the next few months, we're going on the road in the Empire State. I'm Jimmy Carboni. I've been working with beer for over two decades. Most of my work is in my bar, Jimmy's Number 43 in the East Village, or in the studio at Heritage Radio Network as the host of Beer Sessions Radio. In my time, I've seen major changes in the craft beverage industry. There's a big movement right now to know where your food comes from and to consume local artisanal products. When I buy kale at the farmer's market, it's easy for me to feel part of this movement. But every time I enjoy a cold beer, I don't always think about where the beer comes from. And since I live in a city of 8 million people, I forget that beer, cider, and spirits are all agricultural products. This is the first in a very special series of Beer Sessions Radio. Over the next few months, I'm going to take you out of the studio and into the fields, malting houses, breweries, and distilleries of some of New York's best craft beverage producers. I'm really excited to have you on this journey. Here I am last year hosting episode 285 of Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. I got a new name for you guys. I don't know if you go way back in the wine world, California in the, in the early 90s, there was a group called the Roan Rangers, and they were making, growing Roan-style <laughs> grapes. And uh, then, it, then it was like in, in, in craft beer, it was like you, you can only get the hard to get. So it was like it was certain beer that, you know, you couldn't get Pliny the Elder. You could only get that beer. And then it was like Vermont. Everyone had to get the beers from Vermont, Hetty Topper and stuff that no one could get. But now I think you guys in Hudson Valley, here's a new term for you guys, the new primitives. The new primitives. <laughs> In that episode, I got to talk to a group of brewers that were new to the Hudson Valley region. Hudson Valley is just about an hour north of New York City. 
The brewers there are up to some really incredible things, techniques and ideas about brewing and community that haven't been widespread for over 100 years. Last year, the brewers came down to meet me in the studio at Heritage Radio Network. This year, we decided to go visit them. On this trip, I visited From the Ground Brewery, Suarez Family Brewery, and Plan B Farm Brewery. I also visited Migliorelli Farm and Hudson Valley Malt. The first stop on our journey was From the Ground Brewery. The brewer and only employee is Jake Sorrell. Jake's Brewery is not in a typical setting. We, we drove here. We're in Red Hook, uh, New York. We drove here from New York City today. And just coming up here, we saw you know snow and open space. So just tell us about your connection. I mean, you, you're here on a farm, and uh, how did you... Th- that was one of your goals, wasn't it, to, to have a brewery on a farm? Yeah, yeah, I really like the idea. Kind of like getting back to beer's connection with agriculture. And just to be closer to the ingredients being grown... Well, yeah, I don't know. Not too many brewers are like in the elements like this. I mean, this is pretty much open to the to the elements, and like it really is different. I mean, especially in the urban settings, it's these big breweries are like they have they have a lot of money now, and they you know it's a lot of stainless steel and equipment, and it's really just like refreshing to see you working out here. I mean, and the farms they're picturesque, but they're not beautiful. You know, it's like all these old trucks and. You know, there's a lot of equipment, you know, there's, there's this stuff piled up. If I'm building something and I, like, I need a part, I just go over to, like, a pile of junk and sort through it. And, oh, this will work and go and slap it together. And um, and that's how I, I kind of grew up that way, you know, like, in Maine and kind of in the, in the woods. You know, we didn't have a lot of money. So when we needed something, my dad ended up, you know, being able to build it or piece something together to, to get us to school in the car or whatever. There's like a joy how, to it. How'd you start brewing? I know you had like you had like kind of a corporate career before. I was uh, an engineer. Yeah, so I, I worked in the city doing uh, energy efficiency stuff. So I'd go around to small businesses and kind of do audits on their company, like uh, energy type, type audits. And uh, it was decent. I got to go around the city and see a lot of it. But there, you know, I, what I ended up doing a lot of the time was just in the office typing up a paper. And I go there and just hand them a paper and and then be like, all right, see you later. You know, like, there's just not that end of the day kind of like, this is what I did and you can hold it. You know, it was, there, there wasn't that, you know, and I, it was a big part of, I guess why I got into engineering is because I liked building things. I liked kind of the challenge of a project, you know, a problem and solving that problem. And I actually found I could use more of those skills in like, in brewing and even more so putting together kind of like a brewery by myself, more or less. Jake called a few farmers to see if they would be interested in working with his brewery. Ken Migliorelli called him back the next day. Now Jake brews on site at Migliorelli Farms. Now we're in the uh, kind of the cellar, the root cellar area, and he had two rooms built for uh, all his winter root vegetables. Um, And he had one free when I first met him. And uh, he, we decided that's where the, we would put the brewery. And this is it right here. This is kind of like my grandfather's workshop. You know, it's like you got these spray insulated ceiling. We're kind of in the cold basement. It's good. It's cold down here. Yeah. Cold yeah. basement of this old farm building. I'd like to say it's more about kind of like making do with what you have. 
And I think you, a lot of interesting things happen when, when you make do with what you have. Jake takes this idea to the extreme. Instead of deciding what beer he wants to make, Jake lets the farm decide. During the summer, the fruit started coming off the orchard. It was a really good year. And, um, you know, a lot of the fruit that comes through the farm, a lot of it ends up being bruised or, you know, maybe a little bit older than the rest. And what happens is a lot of times that just gets uh, composted. So I spent, you know, every Monday during the summer going through all the fruit. And so what we got, and it's nice because for me, it's nice to get some limitation on some kind of like limitation on what you're going to do, some criteria. Because otherwise, like the amount of ingredients available on the market for beer, the amount of malts, the amount of like hops and the amount of yeast and all that, it's like it can be overwhelming. I've restricted myself to start using just just local ingredients. Um, and when you look around, there's actually a wealth of what you can use, especially in my situation on the farm, you know, 100-acre orchard, lots of farms around with different produce and herbs and stuff where, that we could uh, incorporate into the beer. That's funny. You're like the mad scientist. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. It's, I'm not always mad, but... <laughs> but this is what I'm talking about. It's like these little science experiments, carboys full of herbs and... You know, picking through used fruit that might have been thrown into compost, instead you're making it into beer. That's pretty great, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool stuff. I like it. It's it's cha- it's kind of challenging, but like otherwise, it might be a little bit boring. Uh, for the farmhouse fruit ales that I've just released, everything within that bottle has never left a three-mile radius of uh, the brewery. So when it does end up going down to Union Square to the market, um, that's the farthest that those ingredients have ever traveled. This is uh, the room where Ken from the farm stores all the root vegetables. So this is uh, kohlrabi, right? Yeah, they got like daikon radishes and... A lot of root stuff. Um, and over here, Ken was gracious enough to let me store some of my uh, equipment. And that, this is my old brew system. So it's a, there's four kettles here. Each of them are about 30 gallons. And I would uh, mash in one kettle and the other and then do mash another and kettle the other. So I'd have like two systems running at the same time. And then I'd do two, two batches in a day. And it's a lot of work. I feel like, I'm, I, you know, being here on the farm, I feel like we really are more in a winery than, than so many breweries are, like, modern, stainless steel, big equipment, computer run. Um, you, you feel, like, a little dis- detached from some of those breweries. And that's what's nice about coming up here to visit the Hudson Valley, this, this direct connection with the farms and the land. And I've had a lot of friends say, I don't want to go to any more breweries because some of them look almost the same. This, we're standing in, in a basement of a little farm building. It's cold. We can feel that weather. you got these nice, beautiful, you know, wood casts. Drinking beer out of You're siphoning it, you know, the old-fashioned way. You're, you're sucking on the tube and creating the... The, the siphon and the beer's coming out. Let me taste it. <clears throat> yeah, it's a little tanginess in there, mm-hmm. little, little tannins. Yeah, know. it's uh, almost like a vanilla, vanilla flavor, kind of creamsicle that you're getting from the, from the oak. See, so lock up. I, I saw the sign from the ground brewery. It's great. I actually thought it was its own little shed outside. Yeah. 
Dennis, uh, Dennis's son made that for me. I gave him a case of beer. The dentist that Jake mentioned is Dennis Nessel. Last year, he opened up Hudson Valley Malt, where farmers could take their grain to convert it to malt for making beer. It was the first malt house in the region in over 100 years. And Jake and Dennis have the kind of relationship between a brewer and maltster that was more common 100 years ago. Not many breweries can be like, oh yeah, I see my maltster every week, talk to him, go in, check out the grain, how's it going? You know, and it's a, it's a very friendly visit. You know, I go up there, pick up some bags, throw it in my truck, come down here, yeah. brew beer with it that day. Jake gave Ken Migliarelli a hey, call Ken, to Jake. come meet up with us. Hey, uh, you ready? Just like he has All a right, close relationship with his maltster, Jake is also close with his grain farm. All right, bye. He's on his way down. Ken's here now. We're, we're going to hopefully go see the grain field, even though it's kind of the end of winter. Okay. Hi, Ken Miglarelli here. And from Miglarelli. Oh, yeah. Uh, from Miglarelli Farm. <laughs> so how, why'd you get into uh, growing growing grains? Uh, well, you know, we grow about 350 acres of vegetables. So I wanted to, you know, I've been rotating out of vegetables into cover cropping like uh, rye and vetch and uh, uh, sorghum Sudan. But I, on those years, I, I rotate into those uh, grains. I don't, I, I, we weren't getting a return. So I started to grow some wheat. And then, uh, you know, we started with the brewery, and I, I grew barley. This will be my third year on the barley. And uh, so it's a, it's not, it's a nice uh, income. You know, it's not income like produce, like vegetables, but uh, then again, it doesn't have the inputs. Uh, I don't need 20 guys out there every day. So uh, so it's actually, and it, it replenishes the soil in a different way that, that you know, vegetables uh, deplete the soil. Just like malting, growing grains for beer isn't something that's been done on a large scale in the Hudson Valley for almost 100 years. Beer used to be a local product, but with the increase in agricultural industrialization and cheap transportation, it became easier to grow barley out west and ship it back to the northeast. Now, New York craft beverage makers are creating a demand for local barley. Last year, Ken Migliarelli partnered with Cornell to grow different strands of barley and compare which is best for the Hudson Valley region. Synergy is the, is the variety I use this year. You guys want, let's go see the, the grain fields. So we're heading south about a mile away, and uh, we're going to come into uh, this gravelly, sandy, flat ground, which is great for uh, crop farming, whether it be vegetables or grain or corn. Uh, so you have... What's nice is we have the uh, different spectrums of soil and and uh, flatness as opposed to high hills. A field of beer. This is what it looks like. So we have germination. You know, we turned everything under, and and now we have this beautiful barley that germinated. And then across the way is rye. And we can see now it's it's about. You know, inch. Yeah, it's about an inch to two inches tall. Uh, this is estimated yield. Well, when this when is thirty-two it. acres. If I get a bush, if I get a ton and a half per acre, I, I should get forty to fifty tons out of this field. So, this is about fourteen hundred barrels of beer. Fifteen hundred barrels of beer. So that's a lot. That's a lot of beer. Well, I don't know. <laughs> I don't care. As long as the beer tastes good, I'm I'm happy. I think we should go somewhere and drink some beer. 
After a beer break, we headed up to Germantown, New York. Jake came with us to visit Dennis Nestle at Hudson Valley Malt. In the beer-making process, he's the link between the farm and the brewery. Here's Dennis. This is where beer is born. Well, we were just at where beer is born, in the field. We are in the chain between Ken and the brewer, like this fine young man here. He gets to do his magic after we coax all the sugars we can out of the barley. cool thing is, is we're the first malt house to be serving Hudson Valley brewers, distillers, and even millers and bakers um, for over 100 years, because as you probably just learned over with Ken, that this crop hasn't been grown here uh, for 100 years. So Ken is one of the pioneers in the Hudson Valley of growing it. So how cool is that to have it grown here, malted here, brewed here, and enjoyed here? It's like a little. Whoa, my God! This is a real a, a malt facility. We walked in. There's a bunch of machinery. We actually want to keep this room cool, so we want to come on in. And when we pulled up, he, he was on a forklift carrying some big bags around. What were those? Those bags of tractor. Oh, that was a tractor. city boy. Yeah, it's a John Deere tractor with forks on it. So I guess you could say it lifts with its forks. When it comes from on that bag that you see out there on the tractor, it comes from the farmer where you just were, Ken Miglarelli. I go and pick it up, I bring it here, and it goes into these tanks. These are our steep tanks, so um, they're filling up right now. These guys went in at 9 o'clock last night. This is 1,800 pounds of New York State uh, two-row barley that was grown by Ken Miglarelli. And uh, so what you're seeing here right now is we're putting it in the steep tanks. It has to sit here for two days. You want the seed to suck up another 30% moisture. And when it gets to that point, the DNA of the seed says, hey, time to sprout. So when it starts to sprout, we walk over here and we dump these tanks out on the floor. So this, is, this stuff was put on the floor last night. Okay. So as you can feel, 55 in here, that's the temperature that we want. We want this stuff to grow slow. So low temperatures, slow. We want it cool and moist in here. So if you take a look, maybe you can see this on the radio, you can see the little sprouts. So you see, you see the grain right there and you see the little white things on it? That's called chits, C-H-I-T. So this is good chit right here. So it's like, it's like the seeds is cracked and it's like, a, it's like almost germinating, right? It's germinating, that's exactly it. So this is the germination floor. Right here is where... If you, if you bite it, it's wet. I mean, it, it's damp and mm-hmm. it's not like that good crunchy... Right. End product. So this is where it's going to stay for four days, sometimes five. Then we use this high-tech machine right here. For the listeners, I'm holding a large plastic, almost looks like a snow shovel. It's a grain shovel. And this lifts up about 20 pounds of grain. And uh, what Jeanette and I do with this, um, every six hours we have to take the grain just like this, right? And we've got to flip it in the air like that. So this work is really hands-on. I mean, you're, you're, you're moving grain, you're, you're shoveling grain. Yeah. No, I'm not going to go through this whole pile right now. I'm going to save this piece for Jeanette tonight. She's going to do it. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, this is why my wife, Jeanette Nestle. She is in charge. So after, after four days of this, the rootlets come down, 
and the sprout goes up. So the embryo is right here at the bottom, and it has a sprout that grows up. When it gets to the top here, we want to shut it down. And the reason for that is now it's going to start using up that precious uh, starch and sugars that we want to send to him. So if you want to follow me, we have the, we have the kiln running. So, so basically what you're looking at here right now, uh, radio listeners, is this great big kind of masonry built. It's like, it's like a bread oven. And the grain goes in here. Uh, this is about a 24-hour process where we dry it. So all of that, that moisture that went into it, that 40% moisture, that's called free water. We want to get that out of this grain so that we end up with just the grain that we started with. It's been modified. Then we crank the heat up, and it's like baking cookies. We are baking this to add flavor to it so that when it comes out, it has that wonderful Germantown beer farm Hudson Valley malt flavor. Pretty fascinating. I mean, this looks like... Uh, you know something in 19th century Germany. It's like it's like whitewashed, you know, masonry room. It's like this giant hearth, um, and with this little bed of with all the grains in it. I remember that first winter we were we started like I would come home every night and I would bring maybe three six packs of different craft beers and we started tasting the beers because we didn't know much about it and uh, we found out we found what our favorite styles were so in 2013 we planted barley in the backfield and we grew our first uh batch of hops and uh we made our first beer we were, were home brewers too so that year we made our own made about 400 beers for our wedding we got married that fall and we made a uh, a harvest beer which we called the i do brew Well, we started a year ago, and Jake was our first brewery. And we were, you know, we were malting here, but then our first batch that went out of here went to him. And we were cutting our teeth. You know, we were new at this, so Jake, you know, Jake, he could make beer out of anything. But, you know, he was, he took our, our I guess you could say our JV batches that came out of here um, and helped us fine-tune it. Do you actually drive for yourself and pick up your malt? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. For sure. I love it when I see his old truck pull in. Ready to load it up, right? Yep. And uh, do you, I'm sure you give him a lot of beer. Do you, do you taste all of Jake's beers? I've, I know every one of his beers. The relationships between farmer, maltster, and brewer Ken, Dennis, and Jake are like those from traditional local communities. This commitment to craft through the power of local relationships are why I called this group the New Primitives. Our next stop is with brewer Dan Suarez in Livingston, New York. Dan and his wife Taylor bought their brewery in early 2015. But as of our visit, they weren't able to start brewing on a large scale quite yet. Dan and Taylor opened up about the challenges they faced and their hopes for the future. Well, we just pulled up in front of the soon-to-be-open Suarez Family Brewery. And one thing we find is a lot of mud up here. <laughs> it's raining out a little bit. This is a beautiful old building. It's brick. And they're going to tell us a story about it. They're still working on finishing it. Hopefully, it'll be open this summer. You guys can all come up here in the Hudson Valley and taste some of the best beer being made in New York. So let's go in right now. And Hello. How are you guys? Welcome. Whoa. Sorry 
Hey. 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 Ooh, you now tuned in to D Suave Radio. We're broadcasting live from Suarez Family Brewery. Mm. Oh, so uh, <laughs> Tay was just saying I was being creepy, but I think I was being a smooth radio oh, personality. This building, uh, we bought it a year ago, and we're kind of halfway through rehabbing it. It's uh, pretty intense and a lot of work, but uh, it's a 10,000-square-foot warehouse that used to be a, a tractor a tractor sales floor. They sold farm equipment out of here. It was built in the 30s. Uh, you know, it's super sturdy, too, so we're not really doing that much aesthetic stuff to it. We're just turning it in, trying to turn it into a brewery. The opening of Suarez Family Brewery is highly anticipated. Dan has worked at both the acclaimed Six Point Brewery in Brooklyn and Hill Farmstead Brewery in Vermont. A few years ago, he took a trip to Belgium to visit their breweries. Four years, Dan had been kind of thinking like, what are we going to name the brewery? What are we going to name the brewery? And it was only through the process of going to all these breweries that occupied this really enormous, epic place in his head, you know, in terms of the quality and the caliber of the beer. And then he showed up to them, and a lot of them were like seven-barrel, family-run, multi-generation, attached to the garage in their house, um, you know, small family businesses. And then he's like, I got it, Suarez Family Brewery. So it's very important to us is like, People for people to walk in here and to just like have that feeling be palpable that like small family business. Yeah, it is totally a family brewery. I kind of joke. I'm like, oh yeah, we better have this baby so that people you know really think it's a legitimate family brewery. Yeah, we can get some. Um, what do you call that? Pity points from the <laughs> consumership. Taylor is pregnant with her and Dan's first child. Her due date is around Labor Day this year. So Dan and I first met when we were working in Greenwich Village at a cheese shop on Bleecker Street. And, you know, he said his first job was, you know, homebrewing and visiting the breweries. I would venture to say his first job was heading over to the Blind Tiger on his lunch break. <laughs> so I was working at Murray's for three years. And when I was leaving, I was kind of figuring out what I wanted to do next. And a really good friend of mine and I started a website called Good Food Jobs, which is an online job search engine for people who are interested in working in the realm of sustainable food and food culture. So uh, when we were planning this trip up here, originally you thought that you were going to be being producing beer at the time, and you said you couldn't make any plans because you didn't know. What, 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 what were you expecting to be happening right now? Um, we were expecting. We couldn't come see. So. We were expecting to be a kind of like uh, head high in the brewing process and like literally filling tanks and and doing that. But um, there have been some equipment woes and some problems with our equipment, uh, which are outside of our powers, uh, much to our chagrin. So I, sometimes I feel like a like a little child or a baby, I'm like helpless. I'm just like, oh, I just want to brew. And, and uh, yeah, and it's, it's really just like out of our control completely and there's nothing that I can do to really 
speed the process along or to make things better. But uh, yeah, you know, you, you talk to people who open businesses and they're like, it's always like that. And I guess we're finding that out. <laughs> but like, so, 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 you know, you're searching this whole, you could have opened a, a brewery anywhere. What brought you to, to this part of the Hudson Valley? Some parts of it were by accident and some parts were on purpose. So we'd love to say we could really take credit for being super savvy. But um, essentially, we had moved from New York City up to northern Vermont. It was a pretty deliberate decision to be in New York State. Um, we really loved Vermont and it's such an amazing uh, lifestyle. But in terms of the brewing scene, um, there are a lot of established small breweries there. Um, and the New York scene is just really starting to percolate. And so we just thought that there was a lot of opportunity. We can head downstairs right now and show you like the real uh, the real nuts and bolts of the, of the brewery. Yeah, yeah. Where we're standing right now is the, the tasting room and it's in the front of the building and we put these really awesome uh, huge windows in. The windows are new, but the holes that the windows fill are like original. They used to be uh, roll gate doors. I would say ours is extraordinarily modern. Um, for these farmhouse beers, I like to start them with anaerobic fermentation um, in stainless and then move them to wood and then uh, and then we'll blend our blend our way to a house character and uh, some of the the yeast strains and bacteria strains will be culled from laboratories and some will be wild. Uh, we're going to be able to coax flavor via blending and that's the fun part for me. If you hear Dan kick around the the saying a lot these days complexity is the new intensity like half joking but half serious um and sort of just understanding like okay a lot of the beers that have been really popular in recent years have been like double ipas uh like things that are super hoppy um like bourbon barrel aged stouts and sour beers um and those all do have a lot of intensity of flavor so when you're tasting things for the first time it's like so exciting to be able to um you know experience these like really robust flavors um but once people get past that stage you know, what's there and how can we appreciate like the more easy drinking stuff and understand the subtlety and nuance. Um, and, you know, he's always talking about like the, the uh, barometer for whether a beer is good. is like, will I drink a second glass? Sometimes I actually, even last night, I couldn't get to bed because I'm like, uh, can we just brew like super dry, like delicate beers? I don't know if we can kind of like dedicate our whole business to that. Any brewer, but especially this one, goes through periods of being like, is this good? Wait, I don't know. I'm not sure. What direction should I go with this? So I'm definitely a good sounding board. Um, and I really appreciate that. Um, but also, you know, it's nice that there's a growing community of brewers around here. I remember when we first moved, one of Dan's major concerns was that we just came from northern Vermont and you've got all of these amazing brewers there in this critical mass. And he was like, where's my community here? What am I going to do? You know, who am I going to really be able to talk to about all of these specific things um, about the brewing process, which sometimes when he talks to me about, they go a little bit over my head. Um, and so it's been really nice for him to, you know, definitely 
have Jake right around the corner, have Evan, have Mike Ranganeski from um, Bacchus and now Hudson Valley Brewery. Um, so, you know, I, I think that that's been really, really helpful. Somebody like Evan, I just met for the first time this past year and, you know, just it was almost like an instant kinship kind of between, between me and him. Um, but yeah, Insta friends. Our next stop is with Dan's Insta friend, brewer Evan Watson. Evan and his wife Emily are the owners of Plan B Farm Brewery. That's B as in B-E-E. There's something about being on a farm that is more down-to-earth, grounded, real. But Plan B's farm elevated that feeling to the romantic and the whimsical. Things that city people think about when they imagine what it's like to live in the country. Everything that Plan B grows on its farm is grown for the sole purpose of making their beer. Jimmy, you, man? how are you? Up, man? Good to see you. All right. Thanks. For Hello, Emily. Out. So nice to meet you, nice Jimmy Carbone. How are you? And we'll talk. I'm Evan Watson, and we're standing on uh, the luxurious 25 disgusting acres of Plain Beef Farm Brewery. I'm Emily Watson, and they're not disgusting; they're beautiful. <laughs> Work in progress. And tell us about this this building here. So we, we drove in. There's like an abandoned farmhouse. Yeah. So that uh, these are the Underhill Farms, family farms. So as you drive in, you drive through kind of modern cul-de-sacs and developments, and then you hit a road, and for about 150 yards, you feel like you've gone back into time. And those barns that you just came in on, and it's it's kind of bizarre. Uh, these were the original farms that kind of fed this region and our particular plot was used primarily as a hog farm and produced most of the um, people in the area remember this exact farm and this exact building as as the main slaughterhouse for for pork production in the in the hudson valley and i know you've talked to dennis over at germantown beer farm and we're getting about 1500 pounds every two weeks from him beautiful local and you talked to ken i think too uh, yeah we were there in the fields with ken migliorelli yeah. we saw the grain coming up and yeah, we were at uh, dennis Niesel's, the germantown malt facility and it comes all to it's here all real, right here yeah man. it's and it comes yeah. into here and I'm, i make the beer <laughs> it's our first year farming here when you drove in past the cows there that's actually our land but uh, our our neighbor brian has been keeping his cows there for a while and done a good job at fertilizing the land. So we're going to put in some open pollinated heirloom field corn out there that will work as an adjunct for our spontaneous beers. Uh, we had uh, golden apricots, Bartlett pears, and Montmorency cherry trees. That's cool. Yeah, let's go down. Let's walk, walk, you walk go more. To the orchard? It's yeah. a little bit. You guys have proper footwear? It's a little muddy. Yeah. We <laughs> can walk down. Yeah, boots. <laughs> It's been untouched for about 60 years. We have some marshlands, swamplands, and then uh, so these are these are crab apple trees right here. But I'll walk you this in this direction to go into the main orchard section. But uh, yeah, I I mean I've cleared a decent amount of it. This all was heavy brush, and when I got my truck tractor, I got a, a brush hog, and I spent the summer down here just slowly chopping away at all these weeds. It's about time to do it again, actually. Yeah, this isn't what I expected at all. I thought we'd just be in a little a little shack with all your little chemistry experiments. I didn't realize we'd actually be walking around on a farm. Well, that was twenty-five uh, acres. Yeah, that was uh, that was the the petri dish that birthed this place for sure. Was a shack on a little spot of land. But it's good to get a little exercise, Jimmy. You know. I was count. I was counting on it. <laughs> but you know, remember we talked about that new primitive idea. Yeah. I mean, I, tell me what your thoughts on that are, and. and you know, I think brewing 
and food in this country took a big turn um, when we started really understanding pasteurization and homogenization of, of foods and, and beverage. And now we're understanding that some of the preservatives, some of the things added after pasteurization or homogenization are, are really destroying the flavor profiles of our beer or really our beer or food and beer and are really bad for us to get back to a place where you're you're accepting mixed cultures you're you're really trying to listen to your regionality um it is it sounds primitive but you know it's what founded civilization in a lot of ways um but i guess yeah it's it's a like your work renaissance of source it's, like, it's actually like kind of like a, a achievement of civilization that we we work with nature yeah. and we didn't have to control it right. the way that we, we have done yeah and you know farming is controlling nature you know we're in a wild orchard right now so this is a byproduct of of over there there was on the other farm there is a pick your own orchard in the 60s and they kind of trimmed it and decimated it and as farmers do they just throw the brush over the, you know, they just make their own trash pile. Stonewall is always the indicator of where the trash gets thrown <laughs> over. <laughs> so as you can see, the thick of the orchard is here aligning the, um, the, the stone wall here because they probably threw most of their garbage, which was just happened to be probably a lot of rotten apples or cut down apple trees. And so the seeds have just sort of propagated from there. And, and that's why you see the orchard grow out from that stone wall yeah and in in learning to work with this orchard at first we said oh we we have to trim them all down we have to make them look homogenous we have to make it look like an orchard and be able to pick it but the more people we talked to and the more we thought about it we realized that the the concept of of wild and embracing what 40 years has given us is such a gift the ecosystem here is so balanced that the that the bugs that are here, the animals that are here, the other plants that are here, they obviously have this um, symbiotic relationship that if we come in here and start messing with it too much, we could actually damage the trees instead of just letting them grow as they obviously have on their own. Are there any... Uh other breweries that, that are inspirations to you? Uh, yeah, I, I pull a lot of what we're doing from historic brewing mostly and um, the cool shipping stuff. We're trying to do something that's is very romantic and primitive. So I don't know if there, I mean, other than just pointing to historical references, I don't know if there's a specific brewery that's doing exactly what we're doing. You know, For me, trying to create a product that comes from the land and um, doing it in literally a structure that was built from the stones from the earth and the trees that grew here is uh, that's an added part of the mystique and, and part of the the experience and the pleasure of, of brewing and inspiration of brewing. So everything we grow, we will put into the beer. We, some people have asked us, "Will you sell your your fruits separately, or will you sell your honey separately?" No, we need all of it and anything that we don't use even this season will probably um will dry and we'll use again in, a, in another season but i mean we're gonna use we're gonna use everything <laughs> i mean if that means that we're putting an absorbent amount of strawberries in one beer so be it <laughs>
Evan puts all of his beer in a cool ship to ferment. It's a big container open to the air, which allows the yeast to change with the season. He talks about it as we head from the fields into the brewery, housing their barn. Yeast exists. You know, we cultivate all these other products. You've watched Dennis take something from Ken that's grown and agriculturally and modify it. Hops are modified. Fruits picked and modified. But yeast exists right now. It's all around us, and it can't wait to ferment something. But they're very small cultures. So as you're cooling down in a cool ship, you're also getting the exposure to yeast and the things that like these sugars, you know, these maltose, the sucrose, all these things, and oxygen. And so you're getting this wide, eclectic range of microorganisms that won't ferment a beer in seven days like a, like a cultured yeast that you pitch that's healthy, but will ferment a beer um, in a year to three years fully um, because there are all these little different things. I always compare it to a symphony that as the, as the alcohol level, the ABV goes up and the acidity of the beer drops, some bacteria or microorganism dies and then something else takes a stronghold. And so instead of just pitching this one homogenous culture of ale yeast and having a beer ferment out that's very singular, you have this palette of a billion colors, of a billion sounds and different movements. Even though Plan B is written as B-E-E, brewing was Evan's second choice career. He's a musician who has toured with Def Leppard and Heart, and he's even performed on The Voice. Quickly, I decided, you know, if this is our plan B, as, as you know, centralizing around, around the insect and around those colonies and the amazing, amazing different things that bees do, then, then we have to culture our, our house strain from the honey. And, and it worked successfully. So anytime I've just lucked out, anytime I've taken kind of a big leap with our brewery, I feel like things that were completely unadvised. Those are the times that not only have been the most sex- successful, but also the best piece of, of branding is the wrong word, but pushing our, our mission into something more pointed and more and sharp, you know, that distinguishes us, uh, obviously, because there are chances, you know, and there's a lot of mystique and, and, and around the single culture and, and, and the intense fear of of not only microbes, but wild yeast, Britannomyces, and brewing culture in this country. So coming from Captain Lawrence, where my boss had come from Sierra Nevada, that stuff, you couldn't even eat an apple on the bottling line. Like that, that fear has transitioned tremendously. And I think we are pushing and pushing and pushing, um, hopefully, I mean, this sounds arrogant maybe, but at the front of this, of this, train of of hey don't be scared you know like this beer is beer is sanitary and guess what you when you make when you paint with a palette of a million colors of acidity and funk and all these things you make a better product than when you're painting with black and white when you're painting with a single organism evan and emily had their daughter who's now one and a half they settled down at the farm in poughkeepsie So this may be their plan B, but their brewery was really named after the bees. They are critical in fermenting the beer and bringing in yeast from miles away. Uh, Is is this your cool ship? 
This is the cool ship. Yeah, it looks like a big, uh, big bathtub. You know, a big tank. So that's yeah. But there is some kind of hearth to this. Like when you open the doors and the steaming work comes down, and as it fills up and the room gets steaming, you smell the oak open up and the doors are open. It's very romantic, but it's also uh, it feels like you just find yourself standing around it. You know, there's something that's very uh, the hearth um, and the. Double doors behind here are built in the same dimensions of the cool ship so I can open them. And then that's exposed to all the lower fields where our bees will be, where our raised beds with wildflowers and, and fruits will be, and then down to the apple orchard. We have what they call nukes, which are beginnings to colonies. We have six nukes coming from just right around the corner. And to populate six different beehives. And I'll build a little deck on that rock right there, and they'll sit up on top of that. So the idea is, is to promote pollens and uh, things in the air, and, and I hope, I'm worried about the amount of bees that might die in my cool ship. We'll have to find a way to keep them out. If I leave this open overnight, and the bees are, you know, 100 feet from here, they're going to... screen up. We'll just put a screen up. But you don't want me to talk about this? Yeah. This is the brutal life of cool shipping. (laughs) That is important. That's the natural part of it. Yeah. Yeah, So how do you interact with with nature without them spoiling your product? I mean, the nature of beer and and the reason it's existed for so long is that it preserves fairly well because it's antimicrobial. And, you know, its acidity upon long fermentations is, is very high. Its pH is low. It's alcohol, you know, so it's, it, it kills a lot of bacteria. You boil it. Why bees, too, man? What's the deal like, with what's, bees? What's the history of, of bees and honey and, and that kind of stuff working with beer? Well, I, I love fermentations that happen out of necessity that are self-contained you know the grape crushed ferments itself wine right uh apple crushed uh, ferments itself cider and and honey diluted ferments itself uh, and and becomes mead um there honey is known as antimicrobial which is kind of the the strange dichotomy of of dealing with honey as a as a fermenter uh, because it's and a high density, it's incredibly... People used to put it on wounds, you know, to, to ward off bacteria. But diluted, it's it's full of, of yeast and bacteria, uh, fermenters that, that the bees pick up along their journey as they're pollinating and traveling from, from flower to flower. Um, that aspect of collecting a yeast from that for us made sense as opposed to just getting a fruit like a, a raspberry, a peach, a apple. Then that's that apple's microflora. It's that apple's yeast, right? But with honey, you're getting this amalgamation of three acres of foraging. So you're getting a much wider concept of what your natural microflora is, right? Is the style, would it be barn beer? It's a New York wild ale. I, I think if you're really twisting my arm to go back on all of, all of my guns here, I want it to be barn beer. So that's when, I'm, when people are like, what style of beer? I want to go, oh, it's a barn beer. You know, it's a dark barn beer. It's a hoppy barn beer. I want it to be a style. And the idea with this beer actually is eventually not to be in bottles, just be on beer engine 
with a sparkler in the barn and served in giant mugs. That's the sound of giant mugs. So just poured out mustache foam, giant mugs, and and only available here and only available probably in the loft of the barn when we're having barn burning musical performances up there. So that's the idea of it is that it's a it's is like a farming working man's easy drinking beverage. Part of the experience of having a plan plan B beer is to actually see where the ingredients come from, to to touch them, to walk around them and and so as of right now, our plan is, is not to distribute at all. The only way you can get a bottle of our beer is to physically come to the farm and get it yourself. So you only have a plan A. You don't have a plan B. Nope. <laughs> plan A is come here. Saber. I was going to savor the, the bottle. So you're saying this is going to pop off just like a, you could a champagne bottle? It might, it might take one or two attempts, Jimmy, because it, it was just bottled like three weeks ago. We're getting into yeah, like, it's spiritual. Yeah, this is becoming, we're really in the farms. Yeah. And there's that, that big building next door, that old house that looks like it's haunted. Should I aim it towards I it? don't think you should tear that one down. Okay. That's probably where all your yeast are coming from. Oh, I hope not. I hope not. Bats and bees. But maybe and... I should point this at the... It might just fall down if I hit it with the end of the... Here. You ready for this? Yes, I'm... Uh... Here we go. Oh. It's embarrassing. Here, let's get it from the side. Oh! <laughs> it really works. There we go. I love, I love embracing these. Food. This is another 19th century tradition. <laughs> Sabering your bottle open. You know, we're, we're right outside the brewery, and you're from the outside, you're, you're renovating the, the barn. We open the door. It looks like we're in a winery. Yeah, and certainly what we're doing as an estate brewery, as a... Um, a brewery that relies on us being farmers, uh, actual farmers, and dictating the time of ingredients. We are a lot more like a winery than a brewery, but we have a diversity of ingredients, which makes that allows us to be a part of the community. I, I think historically wineries were kind of uh, isolated because they only had one crop, and they were so fixated on their singular crop of grapes to make a great batch of wine, whereas when we're brewing beer, we have to rely on our local monster, we have to rely on our grain grower, our hop grower, our, our fruit growers, and I think traditionally that's, what, on top of it being a lower alcohol and cheaper beverage, that's what makes beer such a communal thing, is historically it's been a community of people that, that have produced beer as opposed to a single estate. We visited so many places on this trip to Hudson Valley, New York, but we knew this wouldn't really be complete unless we had the opportunity to talk to everyone together. We went to Daughters Fair and Ale in Red Hook, New York. We were joined by Jake of From the Ground Brewery, Dan and Taylor of Suarez Family Brewery, and Dennis and Jeanette of Hudson Valley Mall. It, it really kind of builds that creativity. Every time I go and visit Dennis or, or, or Dan and Taylor and just talk about you know, what I want to accomplish, what would be really cool, um, there's a lot of ideas bouncing back and forth, and in that 
ultimately makes my beer a lot better. It's not really about competitiveness. I think um, it's about kind of like coming together and building like a really interesting, you know, product. Dan's inclination is to say, I don't really want to see anyone. I don't really want to talk to anyone until the brewery opens. So there'll be sometimes when days on end, you know, we're not going out or not seeing people, but then, you know, Jake will text him and say, hey, I got a few questions to ask you, or can I store something in the garage, or I got a beer I want you to try. And Jake will come over, and then all of a sudden, you know, they'll pop open a beer, they'll start talking about stuff, and then all of a sudden I see, you know, a level of calm wash over him that is, like, impossible from any other person other than a brewer. So um, I think that just kind of, to me, is what it's all about. I like, I like how this, this whole radio thing is maybe like a, a document of my <laughs> angst slash depression. But it's, 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 it's a personal a, Yeah. <laughs> Make it special. It's a coming-of-age tale. How do you guys, why are you guys so, so nice to you? How, how you? You know, I mean, I wouldn't want anybody to have my recipe. I because I come from competition. I don't want another malt house popping up two miles down the road, and I don't want to share everything that I busted my ass for <laughs> with everybody. Okay, to be honest with you. And then these guys, Jake comes over. He says, "Well, Dennis, you know, you, it's possible that you're not the smartest guy in the world." <laughs> and and so maybe perhaps somebody walks in your malt house with better ideas than you and shares them with you. And I, and he left, and I go. I am dumber than a bag of rocks. He's right. I'm not sharing my financial secrets with the firm down the road, and Jeanette certainly isn't doing that with the advertising firm. But when it comes to brewing, like Jake said, it's a family. We all work together, and we all grow together, and we are in an awesome community here, and uh, I'm digging it. It's the, uh, what do they say, the the, the sum is more, is greater than the the sum of the parts. (laughs) All is greater than the sum of its parts. (laughs) It was great to be part of that community for a short time. I can't wait to see what the Hudson Valley Brewers have in store for us this summer. If you want to visit the Hudson Valley region and the brewers profiled in this radio special, check out the Escape Maker Package on heritageradionetwork.org. Special thanks to those featured in this episode. Jake Sorella from The Ground Brewery, Ken Migliarelli of Migliarelli Farms, Dennis and Jeanette Nessel of Hudson Valley Malt, Dan and Taylor Suarez of Suarez Family Brewery, and Evan and Emily Watson of Plan B Farm Brewery. Thank you, Ryan McLaughlin of Daughters Fair and Ale, for giving us the space to record our roundtable. This episode was hosted by me, Jimmy Carboni. It was produced and recorded by Caitlin Pierce, engineered by Jack Inslee, mixed and scored by David Tadishur, with editorial oversight by Aaron Fairbanks, all for the Heritage Radio Network. Thanks for listening.